In this week's edition of Farmers Inside Track, we journey to Carnarfon in the Northern Cape. This is where Jean Lowe and his friend Demetrius Suss creates magic in one of the toughest farming parts of the country. In our entrepreneurship slot, we get some tips from one of the world's richest businessmen, billionaire Richard Branson, has great advice for those of us managing people. We are inspired by Northwest farmer Tabo Ditahwe making waves on social media as the nation's youngest commercial farmer. He says a Food Form Zanzi article about his journey even opened doors for him with President Cyril Ramaphosa. And this week we're reading Finding Common Ground, Land, Equity and Agriculture. The hip-hop loving Agbas economist Wandile Sitlobo speaks to us about his brand new book. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey South Africa, welcome to episode 27 of Food Form Zanzi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. My name is Dawn Numdu. I am the editor of South Africa's leading agricultural news and lifestyle publication. And joining me is journalist Duncan Masiwa. Hey Dawn, great being in the hot seat again with you today and our listeners from all over the world. I'm also honored to co-present on the country's leading agricultural podcast. Listen, we've got another exciting lineup for you today. That's right, Duncan. We'll be getting some tips from a man who went from humble beginnings to one of the richest people in the world. But first up, it's over to you and Northern Cape farmer Jean Lowe. John, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. I have to say I am quite excited to be chatting with you today and to talk about your agricultural journey because it in fact started when you were a teenager and you tell the story of helping both your grandfathers on their respective farms to toil their lands. And you know with a story like that, one would say that farming has always been a part of you and a part of who you are. But I'm quite interested to know when that moment was for you. When exactly was your passion and interest in agriculture sparked? Hi, Duncan. Thank you for your interview. I appreciate it. I think I was lucky to be born on a farm in the Karoo outside Carnarvon and being raised here. I was, unfortunately, I did go to a school outside of Paul, Boland Lampo. They encouraged me to be a good person and to be a farmer as well. But it was still a long road. I can't exactly give you exact time or date um, when I was encouraged being a farmer. But what I can tell you is it's been in my blood from as long as I can remember. Farming in the Karoo, especially in the Karoo, makes me happy. I can work with sheep. I love the people here. There's no hassles except big droughts and the small things in life. But we are safe here. The people is so friendly and... Everyone just want to make something out of nothing here in the Karoo. It's a hard life and I think if you can make it in the Karoo, you're one of the hardest and special people in the world because of its conditions and it's far from everything. But here in the Karoo, we make everything work and we make a plan if there is no plan. So yeah, but I love it here and 
I'm so lucky to be a farmer in the Karoo, as long as I can remember. John, you're a sheep farmer in the Northern Cape, in Carnarvon. And, you know, many would consider the Northern Cape as one of the toughest regions to farm in. Tell us about your experience. What does it take to be a farmer in the Karoo? Most definitely, I think the Karoo is one of the most hardest and toughest places to live in. The Karoo is also beautiful at times, but what makes it hard is the tough conditions, especially the weather conditions. The Karoo is also where I live, outside Carnarvon. It's far from everything, it's far from every shop. You have to have a long drive to get to anywhere. So, but the weather conditions makes it very hard, yeah. Especially the droughts. I think it's the worst drought the last seven years we have ever seen. I've talked to some of the older farmers and they've never believed something like this. What makes it worse is we have no help from the government. That makes us, for us young farmers, so difficult to survive and to make it work. We need help to get off our feet and make something for ourselves. But the Karoo, you have to be patient, you have to love the people, you have to love the land here to be able to survive here. And if you have all that, then you start to like it here and you want to live here and you want to make something for yourself here. Jean, you might farm in harsh conditions, but you're fortunate not to be doing it alone. Tell us about your partnership with Demetrius Sus. Me and Demetrius, we came a long way. We became friends on the rugby field. We played for Carnarvon. And every other weekend, when we played away or when we play for our home crowd, off the field we were talking about the same things. We talked about farming and sheep and how we're going to feed our sheep and what we're going to do to survive. Because we both are young farmers and we have the same interest in growing and we also want to be one day big farmers and successful farmers. And we know to be successful farmers in the Karoo, what makes a successful farmer to us is if we survive all the elements, if you survive the drought, the good years, and you can make it until your old day. So we both were small farmers, like very, very small farmers. We had a little from our own. He had his own sheep, I had my own sheep. We both hired some land in the Karoo. And we thought, if we want to go bigger, we have to put something together. And we had a plan, we sit together, we make plans. And after a while, we decided we're going to do it and hire some more land. And after that, it's one thing to another. And it's a couple of years later and we're still going strong. We survived and still surviving the biggest drought ever. And we hope we can still survive it. But without each other, we wouldn't be able to grow. That's how the story of us happened. You know, contrary to what most people believe in this country, your partnership with Demetrius is nothing new to the agri-sector. Why did you decide to partner with him and did people perhaps try to persuade you or him that it wouldn't work? Duncan, before me and Demetrius partnered up, we had the same goals. We talked about the same things and we had the same ambition and the same love for sheep farming in the Karoo. I listened a lot to him and he had a lot of good advice for me for someone who did everything on his own and because we had the same goals. We know if we partnered up, we can reach bigger goals and make a success of farming. Because both of us were small farmers, upcoming farmers. We had the same struggles financially to survive the drought, still surviving the drought. And he has his own plans and I have my own plans. But what makes it work is we have the same ambition and the same goals for the future. I don't think I got a lot of critic. 
My family was so supportive of me, they encouraged it. And he told me as well, one or two people that were skeptic about it and is it going to work because of South Africa's history. But the main thing is, and the important thing is, we were friends and we set the basic rules before we partnered up. And if you have ground rules and you know what goes for what, you can make it definitely work. If I can give advice and not critic is, if your partner has more ambition than you have, then you know you're on the right way. Jean, there are farmers listening to this podcast and they've probably been wanting to go into partnerships for a long time or they are in partnerships but are perhaps struggling to get along with their farming partners. What is your advice to them and perhaps tell us what the glue to your partnership with Demetrius is? Duncan, and shortly if I can say what the glue is in our partnership is that when I think I work hard today, then Demetrius just work harder. He has more ambition than I have. I think he has more love for sheep and for the Karoo and for our work people than I have. And I have a lot of love and ambition and I try to work my hardest every day. And that's our glue. We both try to make a success. But if you have a partner that just want to go along with the ride, just want to ride on your back the whole way, then it's not going to work. I think that's our glue. Me and Demetrius, we don't know who has the most ambition, but we're so driven to make a success out of it that I think we're going to make it work. And our biggest concern and our biggest worry at this time and the couple of past years is the drought. And we've been living with it and we're trying to survive it. And that makes us stronger every day because we go through the same struggles every day and we talk every day and we discuss everything. And Good communication also helps and it makes it definitely work and easier for the partnership. Jean, I've really had an amazing time chatting with you and I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed hearing your agricultural story and we really wish you nothing but success on all your future endeavors. But I'd like to go into two fun, quirky questions, Jean, that I hope you will answer in all honesty. So here we go. Question one, if your life had a theme song, what would it be? (laughs) <laughs> I didn't expect these questions on a agricultural podcast. So I would say I would do anything for love, from meat love. From when I was a young boy, I remember the song. I love the song because it just describes me. For the Karoo, for the people around me, for the sheep, I would do anything. And I love it here. I was born here and swear I want to grow old if I'm lucky enough, if I survive this big drought. And shortly, <laughs> that will describe me. And that will be a theme song for me and for my partnership. Question two. If you had to give up one thing for the rest of your life, would it be brushing your hair or brushing your teeth? <laughs> Duncan, that's the most easy one. It will be definitely not brushing my hair because... That's the way I get up in the morning. I have a out-of-bed look every morning. I definitely have to brush my teeth. That's one of the main things in the morning. Duncan, thank you for chatting to you. It was so nice to hear from you. And thank you for all the understanding and for all the support. And thank you for being interested in me and Demetrius. And I hope you enjoyed the story and that some of the people can learn from it. And stay positive. That's the main thing. Stay positive in life. Be positive. If you're not positive and don't have ambition, you're never going to make it. Thanks for joining us, Jean Lowe, a dynamic sheep farmer from Carnarfon in the Northern Cape. Stay tuned. Sir Richard Branson is up next. Now for that Richard Branson tip we promised. He went from humble beginnings to one of the richest people in the world. 
this surreal entrepreneur started out by owning just one record shop. He participated in the Big Think Thought Leadership series, and we immediately knew that we wanted to share his message with you. The most important thing about running a company is to remember all the time what a company is. A company is simply a group of people. And as a leader of people, you have to be a great listener, you have to be a great motivator, you have to be very good at praising and looking for the best in people. You know, people are no different from flowers. If you water flowers, they flourish. If you praise people, they flourish. And, and that's a critical attribute of a, of a leader. There is a very, very thin dividing line between success and failure. Most people who set up in business without financial backing, they fail at some times in their lives. And you know, I've only just stayed at the right side of that dividing line. For instance, just after we, we had a record company, I was fed up flying on other people's airlines. I felt that the experience of flying on other people's airlines was an unpleasant one. And I decided to set up an airline. Well, our bank went into complete panic attack. And uh, when I came back from doing the inaugural flight of uh, Virgin Atlantic's very, very first flight from London to New York, I came back to find the bank manager sitting on my doorstep and informing me that they were going to close Virgin down on the Monday. And this was the Friday and uh, that I had two days to effectively pay them off the monies that um, they'd, lo they'd loaned us. And I remember pushing the bank manager out of my house, telling him he wasn't welcome, uh, which is a dangerous thing to do to your bank manager. And then spending the weekend uh, ringing around the world uh, to all of the distributors of our music, asking if they could uh, give us a, a temporary loan to get us through the following week. They were good enough to do. And by the end of the week, we'd change banks um, we'd actually managed to find a bank that was willing to lend us 30 times the overdraft facility that, that our bank had lent us. And we managed to survive. And I think, you know, the moral of that story is actually, you know, don't, you know, think of your, your bank as somebody that you're beholden to. I mean, people just don't move from one bank to another. Sometimes you need to be willing to step up and move, move your banks in the same way that you should step up and move your doctor on occasions or, and, um, and learn from that lesson. Virgin does work very well without me. I uh, use myself to build the brand, to build you know, the sort of three or 400 companies around the world. But I also learned the art of delegation. Uh, I have a fantastic team of people who run the Virgin companies, give them a lot of freedom to, to run the companies as if they were their own companies, give them the freedom to make mistakes. And you know, the Virgin brand is now maybe one of the top 20 brands in the world, well respected. And you know, when my balloon bursts, Virgin will continue to flourish. You know, maybe I had the icing on the cake on occasions. Maybe I'll have to spend a bit more money on marketing. But, uh, but fortunately, Virgin is in a state where it can live on healthily without me. That was Richard Branson, who participated in the Big Think Thought Leadership Series. Now for something a little bit more upbeat. One of the trending stories on Food from Zanzi is about Tabo de Tahwe, a 20-year-old farmer from Pomfret in the Northwest. Not only does he inspire us, he also uses social media to inspire the nation about agriculture. After Food from Zanzi wrote about Tabo, he was overwhelmed with support from all parts of the country including President Cyril Ramaphosa. I'm Zanzi Farmers, it's Tabo de Tahwe. I'm his youngest farmer here. 
I would like to thank Food from Zanzi for the beautiful article they wrote about my cultural journey. This article has exposed me quite in a good way. I've made contact with the president and many other government officials who are willing to assist me. I have numerous visitors, particularly customers who are interested in buying my livestock, selling upon smart cattle. I have made good profits from sales because of this article, and I hope it will also assist other farmers. Food from Zanzi is a good magazine, online magazine, voices us, helps us to get assistance, the attention of government and other funding bodies. I would like Food from Zanzi to also assist not only me, but assist other young upcoming farmers in South Africa to get attention in South Africa. Agriculture is another sector or department which many people aren't interested in. I mean, where people see that we see potential here because this is part of our life, this is part of our lifestyle. This is the life we chose, and that is to feed South Africa. And Food from Zanzi does exactly that to voice for farmers. Can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thanks for the inspiration, Tabo Ditahwe. We feel honored to have told your story. For more daily inspirational stories about farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, stay tuned to www.foodformzanzi or simply follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. We've just about reached the end of this week's episode of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. But first, our book of the week. Our farmers have selected Finding Common Ground, Land, Equity and Agriculture. The new book by Agbus Chief Economist Wandile Sihlobo. The hip-hop loving Sihlobo spoke to Food for Mzanzi's co-founders, Ivor Price and Corbus Lawrence. I mean, the book is really, as I say, at the conclusion of it that it is a harvest, is a vuno in Isklosa. What the book does is that I looked back at a number of work that I've actually been writing in various columns for various newspapers, but mainly Business Day. And I found that there is a thread in the conversations that I get to have in those writing, depending at a time of the year, as well as the events that were happening at the time. And the whole idea now putting on a book was really, this is a collection of essay in persuasion, particularly when it comes to development, as well as on a land reform policy side. I thought it would be best if I can collect and go and harvest all of those essays I, I put in there, put them on a thematic perspective and try to show the value of the sector and try to weigh in on a land reform debates that have been happening and saying these are some of the propositions that I think perhaps maybe the country could take forward, but also leaning on a development angle of the stuff where I'm saying what needs to happen, where to make sure that we expand the value 
of this sector. We expand, we increase the number of participation on this sector, looking on both on a women perspective and bringing young people on the sector. But I think generally the key inspiration was for all South Africans to really understand the value of agriculture in an economy perspective, not only just on a food security perspective at which people look at to say there are a lot of intricacies that are in in this sector and it has a huge role to play, particularly on the twin challenges that we face as a country in a rural economy side, which is the one, the issue of limited economic activity and also this higher unemployment that we see in a rural economies to say, how can agriculture contribute in addressing all of those challenges? And I think as I navigate in a book on various policies, but the key goal is really in pursuit of people to say, in achieving or in solving these challenges, this is the role that agriculture can actually play. But obviously when one gels on on the policy-related one, I draw a lot of strength on the question of really making sure that there is a joint venture approach, which that is rooted again on the sharing of skills between those that are in the public sector, outside of the agricultural sector, and those that have been traditionally really been active on the agricultural sector, and also the sharing of resources. So the book is really the pursuit on saying this is the value of the sector, this is what it can contribute. On all of these policies that we are, we are discussing, let's be cognizant of a certain dangers and let's move in a particular direction. And these are the options that, in my personal perspective, I think could be useful. Wanda, you kick off the book with a great story of how you became an agricultural economist. But I want to know, has it been a bit of a baptism of fire to enter this space as a young black man? Because let's face it, for a long time, this part of the sector was pretty closed off. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I've been blessed in a sense that I got to have this when I was reflecting and actually about to write um, the preface as well as the contribution that I did on For the Love of the Land that is written by you gentlemen. And one of the things was really, I think the timing for me was particularly right, if one can say that, but also I've been blessed by running into people that really opened a number of the doors because I wouldn't necessarily say that it was a lot of effort that comes from my side. I mean, if you think back getting onto uh, Stellenbosch, we had people like Professor Nick Fink who ensured that you were able to get all of the support that you needed. The university adjusted the language, particularly our department, I can speak, adjusted the language to make sure that you are fully accommodated and part of the community. And leaving the Stellenbosch University and joining Grain SA, we had people like Mr. Yanni De Villiers, the CEO of Grain SA, who've really opened the doors, the officials at Grain SA as well. They were good on to that, on working on that environment. But obviously, I think one had to work a little bit harder also on portraying some bit of knowledge about what we were working on, which is what I think is the one of the other things that assist on farmers giving you an ear on what you say. And I think they were also open to those. And then getting on into actors were also had people like Dr. John Purchase who've really opened up the space for one to be able to exercise whatever intellectual work that they can put on the table. So I would say for me, I've been lucky on running into spaces where there was a lot of people that really opened some of these doors and some bit of an effort um, that has been coming on my side. But I must say though, if you are a black person coming on in these spaces, there is traditionally that preconception that you hear that, okay, there's not a lot of uh, black guys that, that are there. And I think 
mm-hmm. though, and I will make this statement is for anyone, not only or people of a particular race into whatever space that they are in. But I think if there's few of you in that space, you have to try to do whatever you can well so that you can open doors for other people to follow through or maybe people can see through you and say, okay, we'll bring more of a people like, like him. And this is not to me, but I'm saying generally, these are some of the things that we could be cognizant on. But I have been fortunate uh, on my end. The biggest issue at the moment, of course, is obviously the COVID-19 pandemic. But the moment we hopefully survive this, we'll have to face the matter of land expropriation without compensation again. You also write about land reform in your book, has the debate unfolded quite differently since you first started following it? The new development have come through, obviously, the intensification of a discussion around uh, expropriation without compensation. Because if one thing's bad, yes, land reform conversation has been happening pre-1994. If you look at the earlier work written by the World Bank, Professor Johan Kerstin, Johan van Seyl, and the number of scholars, Prof Fink, and all of these guys have been writing on that work. And obviously, the issue of expropriation surfaced in the early 2000s, but it was expropriation with just an equitable compensation. It is only now that it intensified. But I think the one thing that one can just say on this is that South Africa's agricultural sector is highly capital intensive. So anything that is not attracting capital into the sector is not advisable to actually pursue that. And the book I have put in there, which is again, trying to persuade people to say, let's look in other options other than expropriation without compensation that can effectively deliver land reform with minimal disruption on the sector, which was one of the most um, of the motivation behind putting the book. I mean, if you look at the book, about half of it, it's 250 or so pages, and about half of it is land reform related. And in there, I'm trying to persuade those that are in policymaking and also the general public to say there are dangers if you go with outright expropriation without compensation. What you can perhaps do, explore a menu of ideas that can be able to effectively deliver land reform in the country while causing minimal damage. And you must be cognizant of the fact that we are highly capital intensive. And if we have any dream of bringing new people and expanding them, the value of the South African agricultural sector, we will need to bring that capital. And that capital can only come if there are property rights, strong property rights in the country. So yes, land reform has to happen, but we must be careful about what path do we take to deliver the land reform. Agbo's chief economist, Wandile Sitlobo. Duncan, I know you're busy reading the book and I personally cannot wait to lay my hands and eyes on it. Yes, Dawn, it is highly inspirational and a testimony to what our farmers are contributing to South Africa. That brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track podcast. Dawn, I know we're launching an exciting new feature on Food from Zanzi later this week. Yes, Duncan, many of our readers have been asking for advice on practical ways in which they can talk to their children about COVID-19. We have developed our very own cartoon series in partnership with an 11-year-old boy. You simply have to check it out later this week on Food Form Zanzi. Remember to stay home, stay safe and stay sane by spreading facts, not fiction. From me, Dawn Numdu. And me, Duncan Masua, and the rest of the Food Form Zanzi team have a great week. Ciao! You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track Podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. 
For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.